you so much, Jamie. Jamie is also an excellent basketball player. And she, she helped us win our one basketball game <laughs> that we won this past, this past uh, summer. It was last summer, right? We played? Yeah, we had a couple close. No, no, we won two. We won two when the other team only had like three or four people. So we won, we won two games. I'll correct myself. All thanks to you, Jim. Amen. Well, guys, welcome to church this morning. My name is Leon McKenzie. I serve as the pastor for teaching and preaching here at Redeemer Community Church. And it is indeed an honor to be with you this morning, worshiping with you. And congratulations again to Bella and to Caleb. Um, yeah, going to school is just, um, you got to be crazy. you got to be crazy to like keep going to school. And I keep going. And uh, I feel crazy. It's, it's a lot of work. So please be praying for me. Hopefully within the next four to five years, you can stand up and celebrate, celebrate me finishing school finally. But um, not like high school. I did finish that, praise be unto God. I meant uh, working on some doctor stuff. But anyway, uh, we continue with our Bible study on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m., continuing to go through the book of Ephesians. If you have not joined us at all for any other study, you are more than welcome to join us and, and just come and study the scripture together. We're going through the book Ephesians for Everyone by N.T. Wright. We have about four, two, no, two copies left. So if you need a copy, we'll get you one. Um, it's $10. If you can afford to shoot us a 10, that's fine. If you ain't got it, don't worry about it. Just take the book. It's on us, okay? Uh, the money just helps cut the cost, but it's not a problem. God's been more than, more than kind to us, and we're good. So if you want to join us, you need a book. Please join us. Just let me know. Grab a book. If we need to order more, we'll order more. So don't worry about it. We just love to have as many people come and study the word with us uh, when we get together. Amen? Amen. And amen. So, friends, we continue in the Gospel of John. I don't have any more. Okay. Yeah. I have any more announcements. So we're continuing the Gospel of John. Last week we were in John 13. I talked about loving each other. Remember, Jesus says, a new command I give you that you love one another. Right. We talked about the difference between loving neighbor, generally anybody we come across that may have a need, anyone that we have an opportunity to love versus loving each other. Right. Loving each other as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Give me one second. I'm going to unplug this and put this here. And so today we continue to talk about love, but we're talking about loving Jesus specifically. How do we love Jesus? Right. How does Jesus tell us he's to be loved? Okay, and this is the main idea that I want us to walk away from with this text. If you don't get anything else, if you're taking notes, make sure you write this down. You find that funny, Jason? Yeah, I'm teaching in the preaching cohort. That's how you should start your sermon by giving the main idea. So Jason is saying, oh, he does do that. I do do it, Jason. I do it. And Jesse was laughing, too. Where is he at? There he is. Yeah. Um, But the main idea this morning for Jesse and Jason is Jesus's followers Love him by obeying his commands. Okay? Jesus' followers love him by obeying his commands. Now, I want to say a couple of things about the passage we're about to read. You're you're going to notice in the sermon, especially for my theologians here, I'm not going to talk about everything in this passage. 
And the reality is because there's so much going on in these short eight to nine verses. There is a ton going on. There's a lot of cross-reference with Old Testament texts and going back and forth. And I really just didn't have the time to touch everything. Okay, so we're going to get to about three or four verses in this. If you have questions about the other stuff I don't touch, please email me. Let's go out to coffee. Let's chat about it. But please, don't, don't be mad at me that I don't touch everything. I just couldn't. There's a lot going on in here, okay? But we're going to be talking about John 14, 21 through 29. We'll touch on about three or four verses, and I pray the Lord helps us with the rest, okay? So John 14, verses 21 through 29, I'll read it, we'll pray together, and then we'll jump in. Beginning in verse 21, it says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not Let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Dear God, I thank you so much for another Sunday to get together with my brothers and sisters, Lord, to worship, to sing songs of praise to you, to hug, shake hands, to just love on each other and be encouraged by our presence this morning. I thank you. And Lord, even as you were pleased to be present with us in the the sweet melody of our voices, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be pleased to be with us in a very special way even as I endeavor to preach your holy word. Lord, would you grant us all Holy Spirit, Lord God, for me, that your word will be proclaimed with clarity, with conviction, and you would cause it to be effective, effectual in the hearts and the minds of every person here, every ear that hears this morning. And Lord God, for all of us, you would grant us soft hearts. You would indeed grant us ears to hear that, Lord God, we would receive. Cultivate us that we would be as good soil. Lord, this morning, may we be saved. May we be convicted. May we be challenged. May we be inspired, Father. Let us all be changed through the power of your presence and Holy Spirit. Lord God, forgive us for all that we have done that would in any way impede, Lord God, what it is you want to do among us this day. Rebuke and keep far from us the enemy. Have your way in this place this morning. 
Be with our children, Father, that they may hear the word and you would continue to sow good seed. And when time comes, that seed would grow and you would reap a harvest, even 30, 60, and 100 fold times that which was sown. Be glorified, O Lord our God, for indeed you are worthy of praise, of honor, and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So brothers and sisters, um, those of you who have been in premarital counseling with, with us, and I, I'm learning over the years, I've like premarital, premaritally counseled uh, a lot of couples now as we've grown. And what we do in premarital counseling is we take three different assessments. Oh, it's up here. When Drew saw this slide, he said, oh, that's a cute slide. So I have a cute slide up here. But we take three different assessments with our, with our, with our premarital couples. We do the prepare and enrich, which is like a curriculum for counseling that we go through. And then we do the Enneagram test, which is like, I've heard it called the, the Christian personality test. And then we do the love languages test, right? And typically when you do the love languages test, you come out with one of five of the different love languages as being your primary love language. Then you have secondary, tertiary, different love languages. And the reason we do the love languages test is because I feel like that has the most immediate impact on a marriage relationship or a relationship as a whole, right? It teaches us the ways that our spouses receive love best. And that's really important because when we seek to love our spouses or our friends or anybody, it's really important to understand how they best receive love, right? Because we're all made differently. We all have different stories. We all have different things that have happened to make us who we are, to have us receive love the way we receive love. And if we're honest, there's nothing more unloving than choosing to try to love someone in a way that we knowingly know they don't receive love, right? It's actually kind of cruel to decide that you're going to love someone in a way that you know they don't receive love from you, right? To try and do that is actually a way of telling them, hey, listen, me loving you is not quite as important as me just kind of doing my own thing, as having things go my own way. Amen? Now, I want to take a quick caveat, because there's caveats to the love language when I take stuff like this and mingle it with the Bible and stuff. There's a quick caveat, okay? When you, loving somebody isn't necessarily always according to the love language. For example, sometimes to love people, you have to tell them hard truths, right? And hard truth is nobody's love language, right? <laughs> That's nobody's love language, right? When, when you love your children, sometimes you have to chastise them, and chastisement isn't anybody's love language. Okay, so to understand the, the, the connection I'm trying to make here with the love languages test, we're talking about how people best receive love in the confines of relationship with, with, with one another. Amen. Okay, and so for the sake of this illustration, I'll use my wife and I. Um, my wife's love language is acts of service. Okay, I've learned that in just being with her, and I've loved that. I've learned that from the love languages test. Okay. So I know that when I want to love her in such a way that she actually feels love, that she's received love, that she, my love for her is reinforced in her heart and her mind, I know I got to serve her. I got to do something for her. Right? Knock something off the honey-do list. And the way I typically do this is I let that thing remain on the honey-do list for years, right? That way, the anticipation grows. When I finally do it, the love is just cataclysmic, right? It's, just, it's like, whoa, he really loves me. This thing is years in the making. That's how I do it. 
So you guys, you know, put you on game. That's how you should do it too. Okay, if, you, if your spouse is, is, uh, is, that's their love language, right? My love language is words of affirmation. So she knows that when she wants me to be loved in a way that I receive love, all she has to do, it's very simple, is shower me with praise. Right? Just let me know that, that I'm the greatest thing she's ever found in this world, right? That I've ruined her for all men. She'll never find anyone to match up to me. And then that's all she has to do. And then I'm loved. She knows that. And of course, you guys know that I, that I kid in that way. But friends, in our passage this morning, Jesus clearly, in no uncertain terms, tells us his love language. In no uncertain terms, Jesus tells us how it is that we can love, that we can love him in as crystal clear a way as possible. In verse 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. It's clear. Who loves Jesus? Those who keep his commands. How do they love Jesus? By keeping his commands. It's very clear. And so it begs the question then, brothers and sisters, what does it mean? Excuse me. It begs the question, what are Jesus's commands? What are Jesus's commands? Now, at this point, I wanted to share something that I shared with our Bible study a couple weeks ago in our introduction to Ephesians. Um, it's a little bit of a, uh, we're going we're gonna to enter the classroom for a second, so it'll be a little Q&A. Please feel free to participate when I ask these questions. How many of us here have heard of the phenomenon? I'm not sure how new it is, but I know it exists now. How many of us have heard of red-letter Christians? Raise your hand if you've heard of a red-letter Christian, right? Okay. Well, these are Christians who believe that the only necessary parts of the scripture are those that are written in red. And those words are written in red because they are those words believed to be ascribed directly to the mouth of Jesus. Okay? And the reason for this idea is not because there is so much weight given to the words of Jesus. Jesus, is, is, his words are, are key. That's not what, it's really because they believe that people like Paul primarily, but the other apostles, Peter and James, those who wrote, they believe that these men wrote from some kind of agenda. They didn't write really from the mouth and heart of God. And so we only look to the words of Jesus because Jesus is the only person who wrote without an agenda. When what's really at the heart is that these other men say things that they don't like to hear and, and Jesus didn't say anything specifically to that, so they hold to those. But let's just say for the sake of the argument that they, they really mean it. That the only things Christians should hold to are those red letters, the words ascribed to the mouth of Jesus. Here's the problem with assuming that. All right, we're in class, so go ahead and answer this question. Who is the first writer of the New Testament scriptures? Nobody from, from the Bible study that day can answer. Anybody else? Who's the first writer of the New Testament scriptures? I heard it. Say it loud. Paul. Jason, there you go. Paul. Paul is the... Huh? Okay, that's it. That's it. He has a great, he has a great teacher. Paul. Paul is the first writer of New Testament scriptures, right? With his letter to the Thessalonians. So Paul was the first person circulating Christian doctrine for the earliest churches around. 
And we know through the book of Acts that as Paul was, was circulating theology, as he was going around the missionary journeys establishing churches, he had at least two gospel writers as his missionary companions. Can anybody tell me who those two people are? Say it loud, guys. Go ahead. What you say, Ben? Gospel writers. Luke and Mark. Luke and Mark. You know what I've noticed? It's always the teachers that try to disrupt during this time. You know? But yes, Mark and Luke, okay? They were the companions of Paul, or two of the companions of Paul, on his missionary journey as he went and he was theologizing, circulating these letters and establishing these Christian churches, right? Furthermore, Mark is the first person to pen his gospel, right? Then Luke penned his gospel. Everything that is found in the gospels of of Matthew and Luke are found in the gospel of Mark, and not vice versa, okay? If that's not making sense, you write it out, you'll get what I'm saying. Everything that's found in the gospels of Matthew and Luke are found in Mark, and not vice versa, Mark being the first to write his gospel. So with all of that said, let me ask you guys another question. How could these men have assumed or written anything about Christian doctrine or about the Lord Jesus Christ himself that would have contradicted the other? How likely is it that they would have espoused any kind of theology, any kind of doctrine, ascribed anything to the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself with the other not looking at them and saying either that's good or that is wrong? Given the nature of their relationship and the way they work so closely together, establishing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I can answer the question for you. It's highly unlikely that they would have contradicted each other in any way. It's highly unlikely that Paul would have said, would have looked at Mark and said, oh, you wrote that and it would have been wrong and Mark, not Paul, not tell him it's wrong and vice versa. Amen. So what this tells us, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus' commands are not just coming from those words that are written and read, but Jesus' commands are found in every page of the New Testament Scripture. In every page of the New Testament, we are reading Jesus' commands to us. And I'll take it one step further before we assume that Jesus' commands aren't found in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, we have this on a slide. Jesus says, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, the law or the prophets, that's what Jews would have called the Old Testament, right? The law and the prophets. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. So that what we find in the commands of Jesus is not their abolition, not their invalidation, but their fulfillment. Okay, Jesus is affirming the truth found in the Old Testament. And so what this tells us furthermore is that the commands of Jesus are not just found in the New Testament, but is actually found on every page of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, or as my teacher says, from the table of contents to the maps. The commands of Jesus are found throughout the entire Bible, the entirety of scriptures, so that having Jesus' commands and keeping Jesus' commands boils down to simply knowing God's word 
and obeying God's word. Now, I want you to hear this. Jesus is not mincing words here. He's very specific in what he's saying. Notice what he tells them. He says, who it is who loves me? He who has my commands and keeps them. Why is it important that he tells them he who has my commands and keeps them? Because the Jews, they had the commands. The question was whether they had it or they knew them. The question was whether they would keep them. And Jesus is telling them, it's not enough to just have them, but you need to have them, you need to know them, and you also need to do them. And so our first point is simply this. Having Jesus' commands and keeping them, which means to love him, simply means knowing God's word and obeying God's word. Okay? We love God by knowing his, love Jesus by knowing his word and obeying it. Friends, at this point, I don't mean to be disparaging in any way to the faith or to our brothers and sisters and anything, but I just want to be honest here, transparent for a second. I, as a pastor and just as a fellow brother in this faith, I often get discouraged by how little regard I sometimes find for the word of God among my brothers and sisters. And I'm not speaking about here specific in our church. I'm just talking about in Christendom in general, right? I remember when um, it's been several years ago, uh, there was a gentleman who came to our church. He just kind of found us and, and, and just came in one day and he started coming. Uh, it's been a while back. He doesn't, he doesn't come here anymore. He was only here for a short time. But like from the day he first came, he came to Drew and I, he sought us out and he kept telling us, he said, man, I, I got a word from God. He said, man, I got a word from God. And, 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 and for those of you, um, for those of uh, my less melanated friends, Typically, when someone says, I got a word from the Lord, that means they want to preach. And so he kept saying, he said, man, I got a word from the Lord, man, I got a word. And me and Drew, we looked at him and we thought, man, I'm not sure this brother got a word from, from the Lord. And so we really staved that off. We never, we never followed him up on it, but he was so persistent that one day I said, okay, brother, I'll meet with you. So in the old building, one night, late at night, it was dark outside, he came in and we met. And I said, all right, brother, you say you got a word from the Lord. I said, all right, man, so tell me. What, what, what does God put on your heart? What scripture is burning you share with me? He said, oh, I ain't got no scripture. I said, okay, okay, so what, what story about the Bible, what biblical figure, what does he put on? He said, oh, oh, God ain't give me nothing from the Bible. He said, God don't speak to me through the Bible. To put it short, that conversation didn't last much longer, and he did not ever preach here at Redeemer. What's more is that eventually he left our church. He actually disavowed the faith. He, he gave himself to this belief that we are all gods, that the true religion, true faith is found somewhere in the mystery of Egyptian cultic practice. And what's more, that the God of the Christian Bible is actually a fallacy. Friends, hear me when I say this. The Bible is a gift to us. The Bible is a gift to us. God has in this Bible contained his communication of himself and how he would have us to live according to who he is. And he's done this, brothers and sisters, because he loves us. The Bible is an endeavor of love from God to and for his people. 
And he's done this for us, brothers and sisters, because he knows that if we reject his word, we are rejecting him. And if we reject him, we are thereby opening ourselves to every whim and whimsy of crazy belief out there. And friends, if we open ourselves to the stuff that is out there, it will likely consume us. Do not assume that we are above any of the stuff going on, going around out there. If we abandon God's word and open ourselves up to it, it will consume us. And that may sound somewhat benign. That may sound like it's not that big a deal until we consider what's at stake if we open ourselves up and we are consumed by that other stuff out there. And let me tell you what's at stake, brothers and sisters. What's at stake is the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. What is at stake is the very working of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, which leads us to our second point this morning. That knowing Jesus' word and obeying his commands means having Jesus' manifest presence in our lives. Jesus goes on to say in verse 2, he says, The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. Now, I'm going to tell you guys something. Um, this, this right here, literally, this gave me a headache. Studying this literally made my head pound. I had to stop what I was doing, go upstairs, take four ibuprofen and lay down. It was tough because what in the world is Jesus talking about? If you love me, I will show myself to you. Can't you imagine the disciples sitting there looking like, Jesus, what do you mean show yourself? I'm looking at you right now. Can you imagine how many times the disciples looked at Jesus and said, I think he finally lost it. I didn't, I I struggled to understand what he was saying. And even as I studied, the things got jumbled up and I was like, God, what are you saying? But I finally arrived at something in my study. I think that the answer to what Jesus is saying here is ironically found in a question. It's found in the question that Judas asks right after Jesus says this, right? Right after this verse, Judas asks, Judas, not Iscariot, because remember, we talked about this last week. What is Judas Iscariot doing right now while they're talking? He's betraying Jesus. So this is the other Judas now. Okay, and I I want you to see the parallelism that John is painting here, right? One Judas is betraying, the other Judas is trying to get beside. You see that? One Judas is betraying, the other Judas is trying to figure out how he can get to know Jesus. Anyhow, this Judas, he asks, he says, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And so now, time for some Greek. Have you guys grown to love Greek now? I've been giving you all this Greek. And when someone says it's Greek to me, you should be able to say, nope, I got it. You say Greek is like English to me. But the word here that's translated show is actually the word that's more literally, more literally means to make manifest. Okay. And so the phrase used here is actually manifest yourself to us. Jesus says, I will manifest myself to them. And Judas asked, well, why will you manifest yourself to us and not to everyone, not to the whole world? 
And this phrase is the actual, the exact same phrase that Moses uses in Exodus chapter 33, right? When Moses asked God to show himself to him. You know that story where he's in the cleft? It's the exact same phrase, okay? And I think that Judas is picking up on it, being a good Jewish boy who understands the Old Testament scriptures. I think he's picking up on it. But I want us to read from Exodus 33, from 12 to 14, so we can get the full scope, okay? Listen to what it says here. Verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have, le- you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. Now, here is the thing. If you continue to read, right, if you continue to read, God actually responds to Moses and says, I will give you what you're asking for. I will show you myself. I will manifest myself. Here's the question. Where did Moses ask for him to show himself? Right. Our our English version here says Moses said, teach me your ways. That's where language gets jumbled up. What Moses literally says is exactly what Jesus says about manifesting himself. Moses says, so he says, manifest yourself to me. Manifest yourself to me so that I may know you and I may continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In other words, Moses is saying, hey, God, I know that you're sending me out on this monumental task to deliver the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. I know that you're sending me out here. But are you going with me, God? Are you going to be with me? Show that you are with me. Show me yourself because your presence with us means that we have your favor, that we are your people, and that we will indeed be delivered. Show me yourself. And so to answer Judas's question, brothers and sisters, Jesus will not manifest himself. He will not show himself in this way of his favor and his grace and his presence to care for and be with everyone because the manifestation of himself in this way The manifestation of God in the flesh in the same way God, Yahweh, manifested himself to show Israel that he was with them, caring for them. them. The manifestation of himself this way is reserved for his people. And get this, brothers and sisters, his people are those who obey his commands. His people are those who obey his commands. And friends, get this. The manifestation of Jesus in our lives means his favor. It means his mercy. It means his grace. It means, brothers and sisters, the assurance that we are indeed his people, that we are indeed his sons and daughters. For this is exactly what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1.10. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort 
to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, what things? The things that God has called you to do, the things that God has commanded. If you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, essentially this is what it means when Jesus goes on in verse 23 and talks about the Father coming and making his home with us, his dwelling with us. This is what it means. It means for Jesus to come and be with us, to be with us in a very special way, even as God the Father Yahweh was with his people in the fire by night, in the cloud by day, tabernacles in the tabernacle of meeting where he spoke to Moses face to face, even as a man speaks to his friend. I want you to know when that thing says face to face, that actually the literal words are mouth to mouth, meaning that every time Moses spoke to God, God was breathing himself into Moses. It means for God to be with us in such a way that what is he doing? He's breathing himself into us. Not making anybody else excited. To breathe himself into us. And so, friends, the question for us is this. As we look at our own lives and the ways we've sought to know, the ways we've sought to obey God's word, is God pleased to be at home with us right now? If we consider the ways we've, we've sought to know God's word and obey it or the ways we fail to, is God pleased to be at home with us right now? Isn't that so great how Julie has now learned when I'm closing? Look at that. Look at that. Praise the Lord. And this word is great too, brother. You're right. God's word is great. Is Jesus manifesting himself to us in the ways that we've talked about this morning? With his favor and the assurance of our right standing with him. I said this again, brothers and sisters, and, and, and again, I don't mean to sound as if I am the person to please with, with the way re people read scripture or anything. I'm just saying personally, I have been discouraged by Christians, people who say they're believers, who assume that God is pleased with them simply because of all the causes they've aligned themselves with or all the great books they read, or even the churches they attend. When Jesus has made it clear, how do we love him? Clearly, that we know his word and that we obey it. It's not about your cause. It's not about the next great book. It's not about the great new Christian celebrity you know. It's about his word. It's about knowing it. It's about obeying it. And so again, I have a question for, for us. Are we pursuing a deeper understanding of God's word? Are we committed to learning God's word and applying what we learn? Is the study of scripture just an elective, just something we can choose to do, or is it core to the life we live before God and before others? Friends, loving Jesus means obeying his commands. So I'll leave us with a final question. How are we doing at loving him? How are we doing at loving Jesus? 
as I close this morning, I recognize, I want to honor the fact that there may be somebody here this morning who I've talked a lot about loving Jesus and his commands and his word and all of that. And if you're honest, you're not there for all that. You just want to know what this whole love thing is about from the beginning. And let me explain something to you if that's you here this morning. Know this, that this idea of loving God and obeying his, his scriptures, it means nothing until we first understand how much Jesus loves us. It means nothing if you don't know how much Jesus loved you. And I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. The gospel is simple. God loved us so much that he sent his son in flesh to live the life that we could not live. We should have, but could not. To die the death that we should have died, but could not. And this Easter, we continue to celebrate that he is resurrected to newness of life that he invites us to share. Eternal life in the presence of God. Friend, that's how much he loves you. And the, and the way to receive all of that good stuff is real simple. Just believe. Just confess. God, I, I know I messed up. I know I don't deserve it. But I believe you have that here for me. When we take communion today, We'll take of a piece of a broken cracker representing his body broken for us. We'll take some of the juice representing his blood shed for us. And what we will be doing, brothers and sisters, is again ingesting the truth. That he has died for us, that we are indeed forgiven. And as he is risen, we will indeed rise. If you've never understood that, you've never believed that, I want you to know that today is an opportunity for you to experience this with us in communion. If today is the day you've chosen to believe that, please take communion and celebrate being a part of this family with us. And let us know. Let us know. If this is that first time you've done that, let us know. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you. But I want to talk to another group of people here this morning. You may be here and you may have done all that. You believed in Jesus and all. But if you're honest, if you're honest, the study of Scripture, God's Word, knowing His Word and obeying it, it's become kind of secondary in your life. If you're honest, knowing the next big cause, the next big hot topic on social media, the next book, the next Christian celebrity, that's kind of become primary in your life. And you know that you need to get back to knowing God's word and obeying it. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you? Can I challenge you? Can I inspire you to recommit to knowing God's word this day? We have opportunities here. We do Bible study on Wednesdays. We have a plethora of, of small groups going on that Pat could connect. Raise your hand, Pat. That Pat could connect you to where we're talking about God's word. If you say, hey, I'm not ready for any of that, I just want to start with just you and Pastor Drew, you know, reach out, hit us up. We'd love to sit and talk to you about the Word of God. Because there's one way to love Jesus. Jesus has one love language. And he makes it clear. It's knowing his Word and obeying his Word. If you want to grow in loving Jesus, let's get in his Word. Pray with me, friends, before we go to communion. Dear Lord, I thank you again so much for your word, and I thank you for the privilege it is to share your word with our people. And God, as we turn our hearts and our minds to communion, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you're doing a work in all of our hearts. So for once, Lord God, cause us to know you and love you in such a way, Father, that we are committing 
to knowing your word and obeying it. Or again, recommitting us to that same thing. Forgive us where we've fallen short. Help us to just grow. You're patient. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. 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 Sorry, sorry, you have so much.